Amen. Well, church, as you are having a seat, if you would, grab your Bibles and open up to Matthew chapter 6. We are continuing in our study and look at the Sermon on the Mount, and we find ourselves um, in Jesus's prayer, the Lord's Prayer, one that we maybe, I think, when you become a Christian, you just sort of automatically, it just downloads via osmosis somehow. So it's very familiar to us, right? But I love the prayers of the Bible. I think the prayers of the Bible largely, more than anything else, have shaped my own prayer life. I love the prayers of Paul that he gives to us in the epistles in Philippians chapter 1, verses 9 and 11. I love his prayer in Ephesians chapter 1, verses 16 through 21. I love his prayers in Ephesians 3, 14 and 19, and Colossians 1, 9 through 12. I love all these prayers. They're so rich. They're so meaningful. And I think that's really the way that we begin as believers and continue till we see Jesus in glory one day to grow in what it means to be a people of prayers, that we have God's word open to us and it begins to inform how we pray and it informs what we're to pray for, right? I love Jesus's prayer in John 19, the high priestly prayer. And in fact, the largest book in our Bible, in fact, is a collection of prayers. And so prayer is a big deal to God and to God's people. Psalms, the book of Psalms is the inspired prayer book of the church that's given to us. It's filled with this incredibly wide spectrum and range of emotions. It runs the gamut, right? We see, all, we, we see almost everything covered in the book of Psalms. All these different prayers, the cries of the heart of, of almost any experience that we're trying to find words for can be found in the Psalms as a guide for us of how we're to walk through whatever it is we're going through and connect it to the Lord. And so this morning, what we're doing is we're going to look at how Jesus teaches us to pray. As he starts the Sermon on the Mount, we remember he's teaching us what does it mean to be a kingdom people? What does it mean to be a people who are um, <laughs> following this new king, King Jesus? And he's, he's building and he's gathering around himself a new kingdom people. And now he's going to teach this new, these, this new people that he's called to himself, called out of darkness into his light what it means to pray. And when we look at this, when we look at what Jesus is telling us, this is a dangerous prayer. It's a remarkable prayer. Because if you pray this like Jesus instructs us, if you pray these with integrity of heart, which is what the Sermon on the Mount is essentially getting at, matters of the heart, not just doing the right deeds or saying the right words, but if you pray like this, with integrity of heart, you'll never be the same again. This is an amazing prayer because these words connect us to something vastly bigger than ourselves. Prayer is more than just um, the checklist of whatever we have going on. It is not less than that. That still is part of it, but it's so much more. It's so much more. It's vastly bigger than our own little kingdom that we're trying to build and making sure God watches over it. It's so much more than that Jesus is gonna teach us. And so they're dangerous words. And so as we've been walking through this sermon that Jesus gives us, the most famous sermon ever preached, Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, 
It's very clear that Jesus is not just giving a list of rules to his followers. He's not just saying, recite these words and then all this will happen. He's connecting it very deeply into our hearts. Integrity of heart, integrity of heart, integrity of heart. (coughs) Excuse me. (coughs) I'm feeling a little under the weather. Oh, I think Zach stole my waters. Oh, Oh, thanks, dude. I I like strategically placed them right there and I look back and they're gone. I did, yeah, you're right. If I was serving you well, I would have left them for you. I'm sorry. Just thinking about myself. Integrity of heart is not something I learn easily. (laughs) Excuse me. (coughs) Right? There's something much more beautiful happening here as Jesus is instructing us. There's something more profound that's happening here. Jesus is painting for us in the Sermon on the Mount this portrait of what the heart and life of a true follower of his looks like. He's painting this beautiful portrait, and it's painted with just exquisite detail. It's, it's this amazing portrait that he's painting for us, and the center, the highlight of it, the crux of it all, is the Lord's Prayer, found in the text we're going to be in this morning. And it's this moment where the teaching of Christ reaches its highest point because there's nothing more intimate than our prayer lives. It's how we communicate and talk to our Heavenly Father. It's something very personal, very intimate. So when Jesus teaches on this, this is, this is hugely important. Hugely important. Listen to these words as Jesus teaches us in Matthew 6, 5 through 15. He says, when you pray... You must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners that they may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they've received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room, shut the door, and pray to your Father who's in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. (coughs) Excuse me, pray then like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Now what's interesting here is that the minute that Christ's mind and his sermon turns to prayer, he begins to think about and he begins to address for us a problem that all of us have. Did you catch that at the very beginning? Our problem is so deep and our struggle of our heart is so ugly and it's so deep that we are able to turn the most intimate moments of worship, that is prayer, talking to our heavenly father into something it was never intended to be. And Jesus is addressing this. He addresses it in the religious people at the time, and he addresses it in the Gentiles, even the irreligious at the time. He says, no one is exempt from this. 
Did you catch that in the teachings of Jesus? Look at verse 5. And when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites. He's giving a warning. For they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners that they may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they've received the reward. Now to stand in the synagogue and to pray was a position of particular prominence. It was a big deal. Right? The Pharisees would jockey and they would fight for this position because it was looked upon as very, very favorable. Right, It would have been this great position of leadership within uh, the church, so to speak. <coughs> right? And so it was a big deal. Now, there was no real tradition, so to speak, of praying in the streets. But what a lot of commentators believe is going on here, as Jesus is addressing this, that's going on, is that the Pharisees would have certain times in the day in which they would pray, is which they would um, have these set times. They would always go to the Lord and pray to be faithful and to make sure they were centering their day around their times of prayer. And so what, what most commentators believe happens is they would just so happen to kind of go out and maybe run a couple errands knowing that the time would pass right in the middle of the day on a busy street corner in the middle of commerce, in the middle of all the things going on where they just so happened would have to have prayed at that exact same time so that all the people taking care of their business would see these really righteous, holy guys praying out loud to their God. Right? So they just, most commentators believe that's what's happening. So they were jockeying for this position to pray in the synagogue. And then many of them were beginning to time their prayers, their daily prayers, in the height of the busy time when everyone would turn their eyes to them and they would say, Look at these guys. Boy, they've got it together. They're praying right in the middle of the street. Listen to their words. It's incredible. It's amazing. And they would make this big display to be seen by as many people as possible. <coughs> so what's Jesus' point here? Why is he addressing this behavior? Why is he addressing this kind of prayer? Christ's point is something very scary, in fact. Um, and here it is. Catch this. This is very troubling if you really think about this. We, as sinful people, have the unique ability to turn the worship of God into self-worship. What is so intimate, our communication, talking to God, our Heavenly Father, we, as sinful people, in our own hearts, have this unique ability to take something which is, which is so pure, which is so intimate, which is so incredible, which is so connecting us to, to the Heavenly Father, and we have this unique ability as sinful people with sinful hearts to make it about worshiping me. Would you look at me? Would you look at my words? Would you look at what I've done? Would you look at this beautiful sentence that I've strung together? Aren't you impressed with me? <coughs> Check out my Instagram feed. Check out my Facebook feed. Look at my journals that I post online, right? We have a very unique ability because we long for the approval of men sometimes much greater than the eye of God. And so our hearts are prone to want the applause of the people around us. And Jesus is saying, be careful. Be careful. Don't do that. Don't do that. Don't take that which is pure 
and make it so that they would worship you because of your great words and your great prayers. (coughs) Jesus is telling us that our hearts are prone to this. Our hearts are prone to taking that which is supposed to connect us with our heavenly father and making it about me, self-worship. Idolatry, it's called in the Bible. And not just some idol that's out there that we really like or we're trying to achieve or get to. He's just saying, it's, it's the pinnacle of idolatry. It's yourself. Jesus says, don't do this. This is, this is, can easily be, we can easily slip into this. Look at me, look at my prayers, look at my goodness. See me, value me. Worship is for God and it is reserved for God alone and we corrupt it and we easily make it about us. That's what Jesus is telling us, not me. Jesus is. So we can even take ministry, we can take service, and we can even take prayer and use it as a means for building ourselves up in the eyes of others. And Jesus says, don't do this. Now I wish this morning I could say to you that I could stand up here and say, I have no love for prominence, but I can't. I wish I could stand up here and say to each of you honestly and say, I have no desire for um, to be noticed, to be recognized. I have no desire for power and for influence. I wish I could say that, but I can't. Because that's in all of us in some form or fashion. These words are for all of us, myself included. We're meant to confront those ugly places in our hearts, to examine our hearts, even when it's difficult. And I wish I could say I would never do anything for the approval of people, but I can't say that. Because I see the seeds of what Christ is warning against even in my own heart. Jesus is saying that self-righteousness is essentially self-worship. And this is what destroys true prayer. This is what Jesus is getting at. (coughs) (coughs) Self-righteousness destroys true prayer. Because when I'm praying, but it's a heart full of self-worship, God is totally out of the picture. Jesus says, if that's your heart, then that's your reward. You've got it. Congratulations. You got the applause of those around you. And that's all you get. So, you're like, oh boy, I'm glad I came this morning. That's very discouraging, right? Well, how do we fight this? How do we get out of this? How do we fight this? What what does Jesus give us? Well, Jesus shows us the model for how we are to approach prayer, and it's good news. And it's not just to use really big, fancy words so that God will notice us. It's not that we would know the most so that God would be impressed with us. It's not to be loud and over the top. It's not to position ourselves in the right places at the right time so that more people might see and hear our prayer life. It's not like that. Because all those things are fickle and they're fleeting. We long for God's eye to be on us as his people. Jesus shows us something different. He's showing us God's glory and our great need. 
And this is Jesus' model prayer. And what's fascinating is when you read the Lord's Prayer, it's in these two different parts, and they're very obvious when you read them, but it's, it's, it's grounding in like the nitty-gritty, and yet it's glorious and high and lifted up. It's mundane in the everyday. It's just kind of down here, and yet it's majestic in the heavenly places. It's every day, and it's worship-filled. <coughs> and it meets also our needs. The Lord's Prayer is true to life in this sense. It's a combination of the spectacular and the simple. It's like the vacation that you took looking at the mountain view and you're just awestruck and you just want to stay there forever and you take a picture and you put it as your desktop background or on your phone that you can be reminded of this beautiful mountain vista because it's awe-inspiring and it's also in the everyday changing dirty diapers. That's life. That's kind of what we're wrapped up in. These highs and lows, these amazing moments, and then the, then the devastating call of the doctor, news you didn't think you'd hear. Ups and downs. And the Lord's Prayer is even structured this way. It's glorious, yet also mundane. It's amazing and extraordinary and average. It's exotic and it's every day. That's the way our lives are. And I think Jesus gives us this model of prayer because that's how, that's life. That's how it, that's how it works. Um, and the Lord's Prayer, like I said, has these two parts. The first part, verses nine through 10, has three petitions that he gives to us, that he shows us. The second part, verses 11 through 13, have three petitions. And here are the first three petitions in the Lord's Prayer. Hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So we are asking God, Jesus says, you want to uh, rid yourself of self-worship and make sure your heart's in the right place? We'll start right here. Ask God to do these three things. God, cause your name to be hallowed to be made holy, to be revered, to be respected, to be honored. Not my name, not about me. Yours be made high and lifted up and exalted. Pray that. God, cause your kingdom to come and your will, God, be done the way the angels and the heavenlies do it in the heavenly places, right here on earth. I want that word, I want that reality to be my ever presence. That's what I long for, God. And the second petitions, he gives us these. They're <coughs> common. Give us this day, our daily bread. Forgive us our debts, as we also have been forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation but deliver us from evil. You can just feel the difference in those two, can't you? When you just read them, when you say them out loud, the, the stark differences are profound. The first three petitions are about God's name, about God's kingdom, about God's great will, these high and mighty things. And the last three things are about our food, 
about our forgiveness that we're in desperate need of and about our holiness that we can't get on our own. The first three call attention to God's greatness. And the last three call attention to our great needs. I think that about sums everything up. God's greatness, his glory, and what do we bring to the table? Tremendous, unending need. And he's okay with that. That's the way it's supposed to be. I'm a needy person. I need food. I need forgiveness. I need help in fighting sin because I can't do it alone. I'm this needy person. I'm full of need. There's no room for self-worship when you come to God and say, God, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And for me, just give me food. Give me forgiveness that I'm in desperate need of because I've stumbled and fallen so much. And clear the path. Help me not fall into temptation like I'm so prone to do, God. Will you please do that for me? God's greatness and our great need in the Lord's Prayer. God has no need, as Jesus is teaching us in this prayer. He's the one that is constantly giving to our great need. That's really, really good news. Two halves that have a very, very different feel. The first half, majestic and lofty. The last half, mundane and daily and nitty-gritty bread, forgiveness, deliverance. That's the way our lives are. At least my life is, right? And that's the way this prayer is, big and little, glorious and common, majestic and mundane. And in that, I think God, through Christ, has given us tremendous freedom to come to him. Because we can pray the big things, right? Let them line up with the kingdom principles, but we can also come with the everyday, with the mundane, and not feel bad about that or feel like we've got to string together all these big, pretty words. Because it's not about being noticed by one another. It's about God hearing, about connecting with our heavenly Father. So this prayer is just woven with the ordinary and with eternity. And there's really nothing like it that's ever been written about prayer beforehand or ever since. Jesus uniquely gives us this. Verse nine, we'll walk through it and we'll be done shortly. Hallowed be your name. Father, cause your great and holy name, this is how he starts it, to be honored, to be revered, to be esteemed, and to be treasured and loved and valued above all things. That's what hallowed be your name. Make that be the very first thing that you pray. God, may your name be the name that is above every name. Not my name. May they not even look at me. It doesn't even matter if they know my name. Let your name be lifted up. These are big thoughts, big ideas. Verse 10, your kingdom come, your will be done. Father, cause your sovereign kingly rule to hold fast without obstruction, to go forward, to go forth everywhere in this world in which I set my feet just as it is in heaven. That's what I want. That's the world I want to live in. 
God, may your kingdom come. May your will be done here. Here on earth as it is in heaven. That's the breathtaking part of these prayers. God, bring your kingdom here. We need it. Not my little kingdoms that I'm so busy spinning and thinking about and giving to and sacrificing for. Yours is greater and more majestic. Yours is glorious. Jesus, in giving us this high view of God, wants to remind us that we're caught up in something glorious. We're caught up in something wonderful. Self-worship is not what we need. What, right? We're to worship this God. We're to draw attention to him and his name and his glory, not ours and our words. Jesus is reshaping our hearts and our whole motivation behind prayer. And now our need. We get to the part that's about us, and it's all need. God has no need, and we have constant need. Verse 11, give us this day our daily bread. Father, you go to him. When you go to him, ask him, I'm not asking for the bounty of riches. I'm not asking for more than I even need beyond just today. I just need bread. Will you please provide for me? Will you give me enough to live, to sustain me? I want to live. I want to be healthy. I want to have a healthy mind and body. Will you provide that which I need to have a healthy mind and body that work properly? Would you give me what I need? It's, real, it's so simple. Bread. What could be more simple than bread? Give us this day our daily bread. Just what I need today, God. Because I know that if what I just prayed beforehand is gonna come to pass, you're taking care of everything else. So I just need today. Verse 12, and forgive us our debts as we have also forgiven our debtors. And Father, you go to him and you pray this, I'm a sinner. And God, I need forgiveness. If you've never prayed that, you need to pray that. Jesus is admonishing you in light of his glory, in light of who God is, in light of what Jesus has come to do, to go to the cross, to die and to be one day raised again that his blood may cover us. He says, now go and ask for the forgiveness that we need because there is a chasm in between that needs to be bridged and only Jesus can do that. Father, forgive us our debts. Father, I'm a sinner and I need to be forgiven. I can't live and flourish with guilt. I'll die if I have to live with this guilt every single day. God, I have no desire to hold a grudge either, so help me be a forgiving person. These are hard prayers. These are every day. These are nitty-gritty. We love to hold on to grudges. When we're wronged and when we're hurt, we cling to these and we store them in our hearts and they burrow in and it just causes wreckage in us emotionally, even physically. Jesus says, pray that God might forgive you in his rich mercy and pray that you would also in turn be a forgiving person. Church, Jesus is calling us to let the offenses caused against you bring to his feet. Because if you don't, they will kill you. 
Maybe not today or tomorrow or in a year from now, but in 10 years and 20 years and 30 years, it's a, a ball and chain that gets heavier and heavier and heavier to drag around. Jesus is wanting to free you from that. Please, God, have mercy on me and forgive me and let me live in the freedom of your love. He says, when you pray, pray like that. And of course, we know, we can look and see the scriptures that Jesus knew, because he was God's very son, knew all things, that he would one day say this of his death. This is what we talk about when we take the Lord's Supper. This is the blood of the covenant which is poured out for the forgiveness of sins. So when we pray for forgiveness, we expect it not merely because God is our Father, but because God our Father gave his Son to die in our place, which now grants us the forgiveness we so desperately need, and that we can now extend that forgiveness because Jesus' blood has now covered us and is poured out for the forgiveness of many sins. The cross is Christianity. It's not just, I hope you're nice and be forgiving. This is saying, Jesus, thank you for what you did for me that I'm now able, because of your blood, because the spirit you've given me, you've now empowered me to walk in. It's by his doing that we can do this, by his blood. Matthew 6, 13, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Father, I don't want to go on sinning anymore. I'm thankful for your forgiveness, God. Thank you so much for your blood shed for me. But Father, I don't want to go on in sin anymore. Please don't lead me into the entanglements of overpowering temptation that are seemingly around every corner. God, protect me from that. I need your help in that. Every time I turn on the TV, every time I grab my cell phone, every time I get with a group of friends, the enemy and the temptation of my own thoughts, my own fleshly desires, they rear their ugly head and I'm gonna run toward them. God, help me run to you instead. That's what I need, God. Deliver me from that evil. He prays, he teaches us to pray. Deliver me from that evil. Guard me against Satan in all his works, in all his ways, and grant me to walk in his holiness. That's what we need. This is a very rich prayer. This is in the everyday where we need help. We need forgiveness. We need his deliverance from temptation. That's all we bring in this prayer is just need after need after need. And he brings the forgiveness. He brings the glory. He brings the reign and the rule and we bring need. And that's good news because if it were the other way, we would all be in a lot of trouble. Now, I left out the very first part of this prayer on purpose because I wanted to close with it because I think it shows us something very profound. Verse nine, our Father in heaven. Um, Jesus is teaching us, church, teaching you, teaching me, has been teaching the church this for thousands of years, that God is not just some force up in heaven, but he's your dad. So you can come to him with anything. 
You don't need to fret because he's completely there and he longs to hear from you. Like a good earthly father longs to hear the needs and wants of his children, the pains of his children, the desires of his children, that they would get down on a knee and listen and love and give an embrace. God is our dad like that. We can go to him. He knows every financial stress that you're walking through. He's on your side. He knows every sin that so easily entangles you and you fall and you trip and you can still run to him because he's your dad. He's not ashamed of you. He doesn't keep you at arm's length and tells you to clean it up. All we bring is need. He brings the grace. He brings the mercy. So even in our failings, we can still run to him and he gets down on his knees and he embraces us once again. He's our father. He's our dad. We tend to use that word father and it seems very formal, but the word is is dad. It's close. It's near. It's family. But he says two things here. Not just father, but he's our father in heaven. Our father in heaven. Jesus tells us in Matthew 6, 9 to pray, our father in heaven. He's telling us that the prayer, hearing, nearness, closeness of the Father, our dad, is also that same God who is majestic and high and lifted up and merciful. He also dwells with the contrite. He's a king, yet he's also our father. He humbles himself to come down to us, yet he's also still high and lifted up. He's ready to come to us at a moment's notice, but yet also he holds the whole cosmos together in his hands. And yet he also has great plans for us, his children. He has plans and needs and desires for you personally at the most practical level. And he wants you to pray about that. And he wants you to bring all that to him because he's your dad. Yet at the same time, as we're bringing our everyday needs as we're asking him for our daily bread, as we're asking him from deliverance from temptation and sin, he wants us, what Jesus is showing us, to root us in eternity, saying our Father in heaven. So prayer, as we continue to go to him and go to him and go to him, becomes less about me, less about me, and more about rooting our earthly requests to his glory to his plan, to his purpose. He's your father. You can come to him with anything, but as we come again and again and again and again and again, as he longs for his children to do, he wants to begin to reshape our hearts so that our affections and our thoughts and our minds begin to shift and change so that our desires begin to match his. Prayer is meant not to just serve us, but to change us. And last point here as we're done, which I find very profound in this prayer, is that it's meant to be done together as a body of believers. Notice this language. I could preach a whole sermon on this. Our Father. Our Father. 
Not just my father. Collective, our father. He saved us into a family. We're brothers and sisters in Christ. Our father. (coughs) Give us. See how he's instructing us to pray? Not just for you. For us. Do something with us, God. Deliver us from the evil one. We all need it. We're in this together. Forgive our debtors collectively. God has saved us into a people on purpose. And when Jesus teaches us to pray, it is not an individualistic thing. It is a thing that's done in community even. Though it is very intensely personal, he saves us now as brothers and sisters and we're called to pray and we're called to be together. We're called to lock arms to pray this way that he would bend and shape our hearts to his will. That's a people that he says, those are my kingdom people. Those are my people. They are living radically as aliens and strangers in this world because they're just praying for bread, for forgiveness, for deliverance, and it would spread in the areas they find themselves in, in their homes and in their workplaces because God is in charge. His reign and rule is supreme, and it's coming down on earth as it is in heaven through this radical group of people that are just praying for their needs to be met by the great giver that has given all of them in Christ. Saying, pray like that. And you will be free from self-worship and self-righteousness. And the world will take notice of this. This is what our world needs, Jesus says. Let's pray together. (coughs) Father, thank you for your word. We thank you that you teach us profound things. And so God, as I close, I just want to say these words. Our Father who's in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our debts as we have also forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Amen. Let's stand and worship the church.